Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, I'm Michael Chakraberti. And I'm Mark Watson. And welcome back to Menkind, where we chat to a range of brilliant guests about masculinity. Some of them are men. Some of them aren't men, and some of them aren't particularly bothered either way. We're interested in men. Yes, obviously you are. And what makes them tick? Where does masculinity come from? How does it affect us? And how could we be better? We might not get a final answer, but we'll have a bloody good go at it. Won't we, Michael? Oh, we'll do our best. Well, good morning. Uh, Michael here, and actually directly to my right in person is Mark. Hello, Mark. We're sitting next to each other. We're this close. It's very nice. We did actually consider doing it in the same house in two different rooms, but actually it's quite nice to sit next to each other and talk. Yeah, now and again it is, isn't it? Yes, it's a really lovely to see you, Michael. You look very, uh, you look lovely in your t-shirt. Thank you, thank you. You look lovely in your t-shirt as well. Um, it's very hot in London today, which I can't be doing with. But actually, some good news. I am moving to London, which is quite scary, really. Yes, and among other things to be worried about, it does get quite warm here relatively often. It's going to be several degrees warmer on average than you're used to in Newcastle, so maybe you should factor that in. And it's a bit late now, you're moving. <laughs> and I really hate being warm. Being warm is my, I'd say it's my least favourite thing actually in the world. Above above sand, I hate being warm. It's beyond ick for you, it's actual, <laughs> it's an actual, it's a proper, di- I mean this is, it's a warm day, but it's going to, you know, this is only I'd say about 20 degrees or something. Is this at the top end of what you're prepared to tolerate? I mean, I'll rate? accept... 15, perhaps, on a good day. I don't want to have to wear shorts, basically, really. I just want to You never have to wear shorts, I don't reckon. Just get some sort of loose fitting. <laughs> oh, we can do this in a time. I'll wear a harem pant next time. Um, who have we got today, Mark? Well, uh, this was a slightly unusual um, episode. We, um, well, we recorded it while I was in Melbourne, and the guest himself was in Melbourne, and still is in Melbourne because he's Australian, <laughs> uh, Greek Australian. His name is Yanni Agisalu. Although one of the things that came up quite early is that I've never known how to say his surname and I had to get him to do it. Um, but it was an odd episode, um, technically, because you were not only in the wrong country, but in the wrong bit of the country. You'd stupidly gone to the Lake District. I had gone to the Lake District, which meant that I was on a 10 seconds delay. So I'll be a little bit quieter during this episode. I was there, but um, I my, my contributions were fewer and farther between, perhaps. Yes, and it's just worth saying, in case anyone is listening and thinks, Marcus becomes a megalomaniac in this. Uh, he does 90% of all of the talking. <laughs> it was purely that you were... Um, although willing, not really able to get involved. No, I couldn't really see him either. It was like a radio play for me, really. But it was lovely. It was odd. Occasionally you would try to come in and ask a question, but you'd be reacting to something which had happened many minutes ago in the conversation. <laughs> uh, it was like a science experiment or something. So, yeah, you're, I mean, for those of you who mostly tune into Mankind to hear your voice, it will be a sort of a slightly lean one for this. 
But it's nice for them to hear different diverse voices. Two straight men is, is nice to hear on this podcast. And that is diversity as far as this podcast is yes. concerned. And actually, through uh, Coop's magical editing skills, you might not notice anything at all. So we'll stop talking and let you listen to us from the past. I'm just conscious I said tune in, and I don't think that's what you do with podcasts. No, I think that's from Radio but, Times, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and it's not even from Radio Times now. It's Radio Times in the 80s. <laughs> well, anyway. Mark, Mark will have a long look in the mirror while you listen to this. Don't touch the dial. I'm Mark Watson, and my friend here is... That's you, Michael. Michael Chakraverty. We are currently opposite uh, each other on the globe, so there is about a 10-second lag between anything I say and anything Mark says, so please bear with us. <laughs> yes, this is an unusual situation. We are across the world from each other, and about a few miles from me, also in Melbourne, is today's guest. Now, this guy has been a friend of mine for some years, but I'm going to let him introduce himself, because after all those years, I'm still not confident of nailing his surname, which is a shame. <laughs> Right. Okay. Well, hello. My name's Yanni, and uh, my surname is difficult. It's a uh, Gisolo, but it's more that it's just a jumble of vowels. So, hello, Michael. Hello, Mark. Yanni, difficult. Yanni, difficult. Yanni, Gisolo. It's funny. I've known you for a decade and not really had the courage to ask. We've worked on a show with you, all sorts of stuff, but it's one of those things. It's more of a second decade thing. My name. <laughs> this is the main reason I asked you on the podcast because I didn't know how else to raise this <laughs> to resolve it. Yeah, like at a party when you introduce two people, but you only know one of their names, and it's your way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so basically you're like, can you do the podcast? Then you're like, okay, look, I'm going to level with you, Yanni. I have no interest in your views on masculinity, but how do you say your second name? Yeah, it's been a really long-winded way of solving the problem, but, you know, it was getting embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> well, what we normally ask people to do is actually introduce, aside from their name, is just to describe sort of who they are and what they do. Would you like to do that? Yeah, okay. Well, I mean, it's a funny thing because if you asked me two years ago, I would have said, I'm Yanni Gislo and I'm a stand-up comedian and have been for 20 years. And that's how I know Mark Watson. But uh, if you ask me now, I'm sort of like, I don't know. I feel like I'm in a creative in transition. I had that little pandemic sort of epiphany of like, whoa, maybe I could do something a little bit different. So at the moment, I'm not doing stand up, but um, I'm just sort of trying to find a bunch of different ways to express myself creatively that aren't just standing somewhere and talking. Creative in transition is a nice phrase. Mm. Yeah, this is interesting. I mean, we may as well get it out of the way. One of the reasons I know you is quite a number of years ago, one of the first shows ever produced by Impatient by uh, Coop was a show about The Simpsons and you are an enormous fan of The Simpsons. Yeah. And at that point, th this was in the UK. It would have been difficult then to predict though, well, a lot of things have been difficult to predict. The pandemic was difficult to predict, for example. Yeah. <laughs> was that pause where someone was meant to make a big prediction? Yeah, no. <laughs> Michael, would you like to make an enormous prediction about what the next fucking awful thing will be to happen in the world? Oh, the next awful thing has just happened. Little Mix have just broken up. Yeah, no, I know that was really tough on you. I thought we'd probably talk about that in the outro. But um... <laughs> Michael, what about if you ask Yanni, our traditional opener, and then that will give us at least a radar for where we all are? We ask all of our guests about what they think about when they think of masculinity well there's a lot of things isn't there i mean again i feel like uh, if masculinity were a person they might be an artist in transition <laughs> because um what it is i think is so different now to what it was 30 years ago For sure. or yeah. whatever like i mean i know you're sort of cookie cutter you know masculine macho mm. man you're kind of you know john wayne type alpha male character and um, it's one of those weird things where uh, I was thinking about this in anticipation of coming on the podcast. And, we like um, it when people do that, by the way. Extra point. <laughs> yes. I was just thinking about at school, like there was a thing, because I went to a fancy pants school, which you would call a public school in the UK. So it's basically Eton for Australia, okay? I didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't know that your school was that posh. Yeah, well, I was waiting until you knew my surname. <laughs> <laughs> Fair play. Yeah. 
But um, it was one of these weird things. In year 12, we had prefects, of course, and then we had this sort of second tier of like leadership, you know, anointing called a school officer, right? So, you know, if you were top shit, you could be a prefect. And if you were slightly less top shit, you sort of got the encouragement award of leadership, which was to be a school officer. So school officer was like below prefect, but more important yeah. than other students. You're not a sergeant, but you're not a, a squatty. So it was just funny because... Even at that age, I remember noticing the type of people that they would choose. And so this is a single sex boys school, right? So this is where we get into the masculinity thing. I guess what I use the prefecture, like, is that right? The prefecture? Yeah, the position of prefect. Yeah, I reckon. We'll go with it. I look at it as a proxy for sort of approval. Like, you know, these are people to aspire to. We're making them the leaders. And the funny thing was, like, there were people who were extremely good at sports and then there were people who were academically gifted and every now and then you get a few people who were just good at everything. Ah, I remember those guys. People who were good at everything, they got to be prefects. But the remainder of the prefects were, I guess, jocks, sort of, you know, like sports-type people or people who were doing very well in cadets or something like that. This is interesting. We had prefects at my posh school, but they were almost all academics. Like, if you were good at sport, you didn't. Really? Yeah, I think so. You were recognised, like, being in the sports teams was sort of its own reward, I think. I don't think many jocks were the prefect guys, I think. Yeah. Mind you, you went to Eton for Australia. Carry on. (laughs) Good Lord. Scotch College should pay me money for describing them that way. (laughs) Yeah, they'll put it on their website. It's a totally Presbyterian Scotland-based school. So, you know, like, it's posh, but it's also got that really grounded, you know, don't get too above your station pole, you know, that sort of thing. I'm not sure that was quite there. (laughs) That was my extremely poor groundskeeper, Willie. I apologise. What was it about the prefect that kind of had that image of masculinity for you? I mean, we had them at my school, but I don't think I saw them as a sort of upper echelon of masculinity what was it that kind of pinged out to you I guess that's more me saying that's how I saw society defining masculinity right if you want a more personal thing being in a Greek family you know there's very clear kind of delineation of roles and the further back you went generation wise the stronger it was so you know like when I was young and you'd go to church the Greek Orthodox churches like the men would all sit on one side and the women would all sit on the other side and it was a real interesting thing that was very weird because you know when you're a child you wander into these situations you're like I'm new on this planet what's the deal here yeah you've got no way of knowing what's normal what you encounter becomes normal to you you know and then that takes a whole lot of unlearning which I think we all understand and it's one of those weird things like my sort of strong view of masculinity came from its absence in some cases like for example my family are not very masculine right my dad's not very masculine my grandfather wasn't very masculine my brother is gay but my dad obviously really wanted to be masculine because he was born in the 40s and that was the right thing to do right and it was just funny for me I don't think I would have been able to articulate it at the time but looking back at like this struggle to reconcile who he actually is with who he's meant to be and I think for me that was probably my first Oh, Michael, you don't know me, so you'll learn pretty quickly that all I do is like see things and analyze them. And I was doing that at a young age too. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, these conclusions about your dad and the way that he felt about his masculinity, these are quite recent conclusions that you've drawn though, right? Yeah, I mean, I think recently I've sort of had more confidence in them because I guess when you're younger, you get immersed in the world and your home life is basically where you spend a lot of your time. So you know, that is kind of what gets baked in as like, oh, this is kind of how things are meant to be, I suppose. 
But I think even then you could kind of tell something was a little bit off, like, because you can always tell when someone is not at ease with themselves, right? That's a simple enough thing to notice. But And that was something you sensed about your dad from reasonably early on? Yeah. And I don't even think my dad would mind me saying that, but I guess time will tell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is he a regular listener, do we know? <laughs> Are there examples of ways in which your dad was not kind of traditionally masculine or that he failed to live up to his own expectations of that idea as it were well it's really funny because i've got a whole bunch of photos of my dad doing this weird pose like you know how we'll have our um little face you know when someone goes we're taking a photo and you go i've learned that this face makes me look half decent in a photo oh yeah photo face <laughs> yeah but back in the 80s you know who knew when the camera came out maybe 17 times a decade at non-official functions and so but <laughs> the weird thing is i've got like about three or four different photos of my dad over multiple years where we've said pose for a photo and he does this thing which is like flexing his muscles and having his arms down you know the ones where you kind of <laughs> arms out but like that sort of thing like you're carrying two really big tesco bags <laughs> exactly perfect because <laughs> i'd see him do it and the first time you're like oh that's interesting and the second time you're like why is that your go-to and now i look back and i'm like yeah that's in some weird sort of subconscious way that's what dad wanted to be but he's not he's very sensitive it's interesting you say that yanni because just the other day i was sent a family photo from my family all together in bristol and I've got an uncle very much like you're talking about. He'll be, I guess, nearly 70. It's the same sort of generation. And sure enough, the same phenomenon. There's this picture of my parents' garden, everyone beaming. And then this one uncle, again, I think in his case, his arms folded like a rugby player, but it's the same. He just will not smile. Yeah. He's maybe never smiled at a camera in his life. Yeah. And my sister took the picture and she said, like, everyone smile, everyone smile. The bugger won't do it. <laughs> like it's a sign of failure or something. Uh, yeah, I have no idea what his thing is, but I do think it comes from some sort of similar place to what you're describing. Yeah, I think it's just like, I sort of look at it structurally like, you know, masculinity and femininity, obviously these binaries, okay, on a spectrum and they're the either end of them. But when you insist that everyone's either on one end or the other, well, everyone is not that thing. And then you get these people spat out the other end who are what happens when you demand this person is this other person, you end up with these weird behaviors that are completely weird and like super artificial and the thing about photos is really funny right because it's the time when we're directly confronted with our self-image right mm. we're directly confronted with the idea that someone else is going to look at this picture and they're going to look at us and we want to show who we are in that moment yes what do you think your dad was aiming at in that moment or does that image just show this sort of discomfort from him yeah i guess what it shows to me is a disconnect you know some sort of discomfort it's a sort of like but also i mean i understand that because i've been doing stand-up for 20 years and there's this real sort of received wisdom they're like oh yeah you're good on stage you, you could do acting as well and i'm just i cannot be on camera i'm so self-conscious right and I make these very artificial, like, I don't feel like myself and whatever. And I think there is something in that as well. But it's also like, you know, if you gave him 10 minutes to prepare, he wouldn't do that. But when you put him on the spot, you're like, oh, that's what came out. That's interesting. That's probably honest. Yeah, it is interesting, isn't it? How does your dad feel about being photographed, like, you know, on phones? As you say, it's so much more common now. Uh, well, I think he's fine with it now, but that's because it's been 30 years and I think he's more comfortable with who he is now. So that's a good thing. I also didn't know that you were... Um, self-conscious about being seen on camera or seeing yourself. Yeah, it's weird. But I mean, I guess it's just a complete process because I did a show when I was at university, like a live show, and I watched the video of it. I look back at it now, you know, like an old thing and go, oh God, I look so awkward. You can see the fact that I'm thinking about what I'm doing because of the self-consciousness. And I feel like 
a camera, there's something impersonal about it. It's the eye of the camera. It's like this kind of dead, dark thing. Whereas I can connect with someone eye to eye, like looking someone in the eyes, I can perform mm. no worries. But there's something about a camera that just kind of spooks me. Oh, I think I'm the same, yeah. I'd far rather look at real human faces in an audience. And again, that's why these other guys get the big bucks, Yanni. Now, yeah. what's your relationship like with your dad now, if it's not too big a question, relative to what it was like when you were growing up? Oh, it's like chalk and cheese. I mean, let's not go into all the details, but I sort of come to a sense of self-acceptance, right, in the last couple of years. You can go into quite a lot of details, by the way. People like this on this podcast, yeah. Well, okay. So, well, it's best manifested in, I just started doing a, like a blog and uh, <laughs> I just started it and I didn't tell many people about it. And then it came time to tell people about it. And I just had this like weird panicky feeling in my stomach. And it's the same feeling I had all the time when I was doing stand-up about telling people about my shows. Like I felt like I was bothering them. You know, that sort of like yeah. over-apologetic thing of like, you know, people don't want to know about it. And why my show? It's just literally verbal diarrhea on the theme of low self-worth. Yeah, I've just tweeted out a positive review of my show and I caveated it with about nine things saying, sorry for doing this. <laughs> I read it, Mark. And someone said, well done. And you said, well, obviously, it's a very, very generous review. <laughs> <laughs> It was, but it would be lovely if I could just share it without immediately trying to backtrack from it. Well, that's, yes. <laughs> but I love the idea that you're kind of like, well, objectively, it was worse than that. But subjectively, I suppose they might have liked it. I was furious with the review, yeah. I've had all copies of Time Out Melbourne pulp. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Cameron, we're two similar people in this regard. Absolutely. And it was just one of these weird things. I had this moment where I was like, okay, if I'm going to be doing writing, I need to get to the bottom of this. Like, what is it that's happening here? And it was weird. I had a chat with a friend of mine, Dan Illick, and with my partner, Carrie, and a few other people. And I remember I just kind of asked them about like what their view of art was, their art that they did, and whether it was an act of service. And it was interesting because I think I always saw it as quite a selfish thing, what I did, but it wasn't because the thing itself was selfish. It's because I think for a long time I was using it in a selfish way to sort of get my needs met, you know, like I needed approval. So I got that on stage and I needed to have like members of the opposite sex find me attractive. And I got that from being on stage and, you know, it wasn't something that I was doing selflessly, right? Because I couldn't give that approval and that love to myself. You were mopping it up from your audiences. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is the comedy industry, Mark. You understand there's a lot of it going on. Uh, all of us do this. Yeah. It's just nice to hear someone else talk about doing it. <laughs> and around the same time and linked into this, my partner would compliment me sometimes, right? say nice things about me, like how much she loved me and how great I made her life. Very lovely things that you want to hear from a partner. And I would always have trouble taking the compliment, you know, and I would hedge and say, oh, well, you know, really, you know, like you do with a review, Mark. <laughs> And I realized what it was, and it was that, you know, every time she'd say something nice about me, I'd immediately think about the worst things I'd ever done and think, I don't deserve this. So at some point, I kind of, the revelation I had was that actually, it is a nice thing being me, and I do make people's lives better. And, you know, the animal's better off for having me around, my partner's better off for having me around, and my family is better off for having me around, right? And since I've had that change in how I see myself, it's been remarkable. It's like a lot of my family relationships have changed around me because I'm not reacting in the same way that I used to. Like I used to need my dad's approval, right? And if he didn't give it to me, not because he didn't want to, but because my dad is a bit screwy emotionally, right? And of course, because he never learned how, because every time he expressed an emotion, it got squished out of him, right? So, you know, I was sort of wanting it from him. And, and since I've kind of been able to just give those things to myself, I've noticed that my relationship with him 
has improved. And a lot of that is just from me being more honest about things, you know, and being more aware of who I am. Because before, I guess I must have been reacting unconsciously to a lot of things, you know, because I didn't realize that was what was going on inside me. But it has improved immeasurably. I would like to know about how you found that comfortable space in sharing those emotions. That sounds like you've been on like quite a journey of self-acceptance, but how did you find a way to express that? And were there any kind of boundaries in finding ways to express yourself a bit more emotionally and a bit more fully? Yeah, well, it's interesting because our dynamic is really not to express ourselves emotionally. It's funny because like, my dad was not able to, and my mum was, but it was just not a lot of honesty because there was, well, listen, this is 10 podcasts, but it just came from a place of self-acceptance. And I think the weird thing is, the thing I realised, whenever I used to smoke weed, I remember when I was about 22, I loved it. I remember what it was about it. I was like, oh, good Lord. It was like my brain worked. I'd have a thought and I would be able to articulate it wonderfully and eloquently. Mm. And I used to wonder, like, what is that? Like, is that just drugs, Right. But it's not that. I've realized what it is now because now I can do that without drugs. And I've realized that what was happening when I was smoking was that little voice, you know, the one that says, don't say that that's wrong or don't say that that might not be the right thing to say was just gone. Yes, I know that voice. Well, this goes back to the thing about not being able to accept compliments. I would remember the partners I cheated on, the shitty things that I did to people. And that's why I was like, I couldn't accept that. And then the thing I realized was more broadly, I was doing that every moment of every day with every conversation I was having, these intruding thoughts of like, oh, is this really what I think? I wouldn't trust my own thoughts or can I say that or... And then I guess when I had enough evidence from my own life that I was fine and that what I think is fine, I have coherent enough thoughts and beliefs now that, you know, align with my actions enough that, you know what, I don't need to have an editor between my thoughts and my words because I trust myself that whatever I say, I'll be able to back it up because I'm confident enough that I believe it and it comes from a good place of compassion. And that's the difference because every other time I tried to change it, it was thinking about changing it, but it's more that thing of like, oh, I needed to have something internally change and then the behavior changes. Christ. I think that's really inspirational and really interesting. There's an element of bravery in kind of letting yourself do what you want to do without the editor in between. And I think we all have that kind of mental editor. Mm. But the bravery comes in, I suppose, if you're doing something wrong or if you say something wrong or if you've got it wrong. How do you feel about that and how do you respond to that? Because I think a lot of problems come there, really. Yes, well, absolutely. But I think that the fallacy there is to say that you can say something wrong. Now, you can definitely say something that someone doesn't like or you can say something dishonest. Mm. If we just take dishonesty as a given, like don't flat out lie to people and whatever, because I guess I grew up getting very, very good knowing what the right thing to say was because my dad wasn't great at... And I know why this is, by the way. I know because he was traumatized from his upbringing and he associated sort of like loud voices with like bad things happening. And so what would happen is if I would sort of not raise my voice, but even, you know, when you become a teenager and you, you have opinions and they're new and you want to tell them and sometimes they're not what your parents think. And so what would happen is I would disagree with dad and then he'd be like, no. And, you know, and then if I would sort of raise my voice, that was like frowned upon and my dad would get very upset and I learned pretty quickly that the easiest way to have an easy life was to just, you know, not rock the boat. Was this, do you think, a sort of Greek thing or a generational thing or...? I think it's a bit of both. I hesitate to say Greek thing, but absolutely certain cultures 
Actually, you know what? I'm going to give this a hard yes, Watson, because I was talking to my dad about... That's good, because as soon as I said Greek thing, I thought, shit, I don't know about that. (laughs) No, no, no. I was literally saying this to my dad today. I said, we're really not good at communicating, you know, Greeks. And he said, yeah, well, Italian's like that too. I said, I'm not saying that no one else is no good at communicating. I'm just saying... (laughs) That's a classic response. What about French people, for fuck's sake? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so going back to your question, Michael, it's about... Listen, you will say the wrong thing because I think when you're saying say the wrong thing, you know, it goes back to what I was trying to do and what a lot of people try and do is to make sure you don't say the wrong thing. Now, the truth of the matter is that the only way to get better at doing that is to heavily edit what you say. And that's just because, you know, sometimes people will disagree, but that's fine. And I guess this is actually the really key thing, okay, because the thing I've gotten comfortable with that I was absolutely not comfortable with before is to tolerate discomfort and to go that's fine if that person is upset with me for a little while and the only reason I'm able to do that is because I have faith that I'm coming from a good place and that I can explain the place that I'm coming from so like for example last week my mum we had a little a little argument and this is weird because I never have arguments with my mum but I have recently and that's a good thing because you're expressing yourself yeah well that's right we would always fall into each other emotionally you know what I mean like I'd bite you know and I would get upset at my mum and instead what I did was I wasn't getting upset at my mum I was just sort of having faith in my own view of things and saying no I'm confident of what has happened here and I am compassionate for you and I'm here for you, but I really want to know what was really going on. What did you really want to say? Sort of almost re-educating your parents about the way to express emotion. It's like you're thinking about the editor inside her brain as well as the editor inside your brain. Yes. And that's the thing. When I don't have to use my brain for my editor, I can use it for other people. And that's really good and it's really helpful. And I just think that seriously, the Greek family thing, like everyone just, my partner is not Greek. And whenever she's at Greek Easter or Christmas, the day after she goes, Yanni, I just can't, I can't believe how your family like talk over each other and yell and like, it's so foreign to her. But it's true and it's there just needs to be a bit more listening and a bit less opinion sometimes. Yanni, it does sound quite a bit like since you've dialed down on doing the stand-up, you've become more sort of emotionally literate and able to process things. Yeah. I don't like where this is going, conclusion wise. <laughs> well, we must always follow the truth wherever it may lead us, Mark. And also you don't need disinhibitors like drugs or booze as much these days because you just say what is actually in your brain. Am I hearing this correctly? Yeah, no, this is absolutely true. Mark. It's quite confronting, Mark. Mark, isn't it? I don't know how much I'm enjoying this episode. Yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. 
That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Uh, Michael, I know you love questions. Would you like to ask, well, what is traditionally our next sort of question? Our traditional second question is always about role models and role models that you had that were men when you were younger, but also now and whether they're different, whether they've changed, who they are, how they impacted you, all that good meaty stuff. I've got a good six questions in there, so I feel like I'm good for the next 10 minutes. Well, you would, yeah, you would be good if I had significant role models, but this is really weird because uh, <laughs> I think what's more interesting than me making up an answer is the fact that I had real trouble thinking of someone, right? And it's not the first time. People do find this a challenging question. It's interesting how often somebody struggles to name a man that they looked up to. Yeah, we have my interview of this podcast coming up fairly soon in the not too distant future. So it's been on my mind as well about having role models. And I'm struggling as well, if I'm honest. I can't think of many men that I looked up to then. But what about now? Well, yeah, I think it's because I'm not typically masculine. Because, you know, with a role model, it's sort of someone that you look at and you see yourself in them a little bit, or at least the, the you that you would love to be, you know? Yeah, you want to. You know, maybe someone like Bowie would have been, but this is me retconning the whole thing and looking back and going, I really love that dude. Like, you know, the sort of gender fluidity and the whole, just the creative expression, you know? Plus he's the coolest dude in the world, but that's why he's the coolest dude in the world, because he was unapologetically himself. He would have been a really good guest. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> <laughs> It is quite interesting how often people mention either rock stars or pop stars. But as you say, like you, Yanni, they're mostly doing that with the benefit of hindsight. They weren't at the time thinking this guy is playing with gender. Well, you want to know something really interesting that I only just thought of. So, you know, that's what I say now. Okay. And I'm 44 years old, but I mean, I spent a lot of my teenage years listening to sort of gangster rap and hip hop. Right. And it's very interesting because that is a very aggressively masculine sort of thing yeah but i even remember when i listened to it like i loved the way it sounded but i always listened to it and i was like well this is certainly not something to take too seriously <laughs> my son listens to that stuff at the moment and sends me tiktoks of bits that he likes and stuff yeah i'd be pleased if it's going through his head let's not take this too seriously at the moment i don't think it is but he's 11 or 12 now yeah Okay, well, I can tell you who a role model is now. And this, that's, oh God, it's so funny, actually. This is a good question for me because it's weird. I, I think I've been so inside my own head most of my life because I spent so much of it just trying to work out what the fuck is going on that it, it's been really hard to kind of like angle in on someone else and kind of go, <laughs> that person, I want to be like that person. But I actually have someone very recently that I've sort of looked at and gone, yeah, no, that person, I'd like to be like that person. And it's um it's new North Melbourne Football Club president Sonia Hood, which is going to sound super random. Ah, uh, this is pretty niche, but this is interesting. I think there were lots of words there that I just didn't understand. You got almost no chance, Michael. So we're talking about an Australian football club, and it's a fairly masculine kind of world. I will explain. 
my friend Sonia has just been made president of the club. Okay. She's the fourth ever female president of an AFL club, which is the president. Imagine like a female president of a Premier League football club or something like that. Like, so it's a pretty big thing. In fact, it's almost impossible to imagine that. Australia's ahead of us in this regard, I think. Yeah, that's very interesting. Well, there's a whole podcast on the differences between the gender balance between the two sports, but um, we'll do that one and we'll get Michael on as a guest. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, I didn't meet her in real life. I met her on a, like a Facebook football discussion group that a friend added me to. But so Sonia's this person and she's uh, done a PhD. She's one of these people, like, you know, people who say they'll come and then, you know, people who come to events. Yeah. She's one of those people who turns up. And you know what? The older I get, the more I appreciate people who turn up because it's really, that's all there is in life is turning up. It doesn't have to be to any particular thing, but you just got to turn up to something. And you know in life, you start to know who the people are that will turn up for you, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so she came to a few of my shows and we'd have a good chat afterwards and she was really great. And like, she's just one of these people, she's probably about five or six years older than me. And I just, I really appreciated the fact that like, there's no nonsense. She knows who she is. She knows what she believes. And she just goes out every day and just kind of lives that. And when I watch her achievements, because she's so in alignment with herself, like, you know, she ends up in these great places. And to me, who I've just spent my whole life struggling to kind of have that, you know, the self-belief, the trust, you know, of like, that it's okay to say what I think, and it's okay to believe things and have opinions. And it doesn't matter because the world is not your house when you're 16 years old and not everyone's going to shout at you and get upset when you just say anything. You know, I remember just watching her and I said to my partner, I said, I just, you know what, if I could be like her, if I could live my life more like the way I see her living her life, I would be more than happy. Does she encounter misogyny or prejudice as the president of a football club in a or are people, is that reasonably normalised, do you reckon? Well, I mean, she's only been president for three weeks, so it's kind of hard to tell. Ah, to be fair, <laughs> I didn't realise that bit. <laughs> but what's really interesting with this and with the general principle of having female presidents and, like, there's a women's league, an AFLW league, which has been running for about seven years. And, like, and which is taken more seriously than, like, the women's Premier League in our game, for example. Yeah. And it's just so interesting because I've been to a lot of the women's games and, and just hanging around and listening to the conversations that like, you know, dads have with their daughter or mums have with their daughters. And it's just really, really nourishing, you know, because you you sort of, who's your favourite player? And, you know, and you can see the girls sort of saying, I wish I could play one day. And it's like these aspirations that have traditionally only really been the domain of boys, which is completely ridiculous because girls want to do things just as much as boys. But the really interesting thing is my partner had a conversation with me about two or three weeks ago, a sort of lamentation on some of the presumptions people have made about her in a workplace environment because of her gender, right? And um, I said to her, you know what? Maybe you should come to the football with me this weekend because it was the first North Melbourne home game and I knew Sonia was going to make a speech. And I thought it would be a really good thing for her to see her being the president of the club, giving a speech to a room full of people who respected her. Yeah. <laughs> and it was exactly like that. I went and you know what? She gave a speech. She had a couple of gags in there. She texted me afterwards and was like, were they good? Can you write me some other ones? You said, no, I'm not doing comedy anymore. <laughs> yeah, I don't do that. I'm a writer now, so I can't write. <laughs> but I turned around and my partner had tears in her eyes. Your partner, Carrie. Yeah, just Carrie was just tearing up, basically seeing someone who reminded her of her, like smart, funny woman with things to say and beliefs and, you know, and passion about the club. She loves the club and, you know, and all of these things. And just to see her sort of hold sway over a room of people who 
all accepted her as part of what was traditionally not really her domain. It's pretty great that you have a contemporary female role model because that hasn't happened too many times on this podcast. Yeah. I think before we get into the final question, I think you've given me a lot to sort of think about and ask about, but you were talking about how, I think you said you spent a lot of your life locked in your own head. Yeah. yeah. And I do as well. Everybody that listens to that or knows that about me. And probably not a very gauche way of asking the question. It's going to be quite kind of, a huge generalization but would you say that men like us are more inclined to be like that why is it that it takes people like me and you we have to get into our 40s before we start asking ourselves what the fuck is going on i think your phrase is is there something gendered about the way that we fail to tackle our emotions and thoughts and all of it I, we're similar people i think that's why i'm asking you mm. and you've been on a journey which i'm interested in and want to be similar to oh really am i your role model <laughs> <laughs> yes but unfortunately, my episode was like a few months ago. <laughs> it's too late now. Oh, and you should have had an earlier epiphany. <laughs> yeah, well, listen, I think the way I see life uh, at this age, at my middle age, is that you spend about 30 years getting wound up and then you just probably spend the next 30 years unwinding the winding. You know what I mean? And I think the winding comes from a lot of things. So there's unique, specific things like your own family situation. So no doubt everyone is affected by their upbringing. And then, of course, the society at large that they grow up in, which is why people in different countries end up with completely different views. You know, mm. things are never a specific way. It's just the world that you're sort of confronted with. And I think, you know, in our particular world, yeah, there is a reason why, you know, a lot of men have that. I mean, the thing about banging your head, I don't think that's gendered at all because I think, uh -huh. you know, I think that's more a coping mechanism and I think that women will be just as in their head but just with different thoughts and different expectations and the different disconnects between the two. But there's a really nice control experiment I grew up with in my house, which is my brother mm. who's gay. So, you know, like he's male like I am, but people accepted I guess what we associated with being more feminine behaviors, like sort of, you know, emotion, empathy, those sorts of things. Once he came out, you know, like people have that thing of like, well, of course he's like that, he's gay, which yeah. is not true at all. You know, and I saw an article in the newspaper uh, the other day, which was very interesting. It was a gay man saying, we need to open up a discussion about uh, domestic violence in gay relationships, right? Because again, and that's an interesting little inverse thing again, where like, you know, people are like, oh, well, no, of course, gay men are also happy and this and that. And it's like, no, no, we're people just like everyone else. And sometimes things go wrong. Uh, don't worry. Michael knows about Can it. confirm we are not all happy. <laughs> that's what they meant. Yeah. Carry yeah. On. <laughs> <laughs> Some of us are diagnosed with unhappiness <laughs> by doctors. <laughs> yeah. I just think everyone walks around with two things in their head. They walk around with how things are and how things are meant to be. And of course, how things are meant to be is this thing, like part of it is your own ethics, but another part of it is received things that you get from society. And, you know, like just from those little examples about my brother and the thing I read in the newspaper, like you can see that these different people in different circumstances have different expectations on them. And so, yeah, I think like very much so, Mark, that, you know, you're really coming from a long way back because- I don't like the sound of that, Yanni, but carry on. I mean, if you want to go so far back, it's that Victorian era sort of stiff upper lip kind of like yeah. don't let on thing. And, you know, and what, 150 years later, we're still kind of trying to unwind it. And I think the interesting thing now is that, you know, just the speed of communication is just out of control. Well, the speed of communication between some people, but not between <laughs> Australia and the Lake District. Actually, tonight that's not been true 
too, but in general, your point stands, Yanni. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's just crazy because, you know, you see it in people, you know, the way that they push back against progressive ideas, you know, and not necessarily because they're anti it, but I think at some point, humans are not designed to, you know, psychologically, we cling to our worldview very, very preciously. And I just think objectively, it's changing faster now than it ever has. And that puts stresses on people's psyches. And of course, there's more channels of communication. So what ends up happening is you tend to find people screaming louder, just as it's getting faster. And the people who push back, push back harder, because they're like, dude, I don't, I can't, I'm struggling to keep it all together. Like all these thoughts that I had about how things are, and you're telling me it's so, you know, it's different and whatever. And yeah. And I think that, you know, men kind of try to get better at just being, you know, and just expressing how they feel. That idea of change, mm. that's quite a scary thing. And I think you're right. The amount of things that have been changing and the way the world has been changing in the past couple of years even has been kind of exponential. And people's responses to that are to either kind of go, wow, let me just absorb or to kind of close down and batten down the hatches. Mm. It sounds like you've done the former, not the latter. And I just kind of wonder how, or if you can even kind of work out how you've kind of been open to receiving that information. Oh, I think that's my nature. But I mean, I'm slightly on the spectrum. So part of my character is just to sort of say what I see, you know. In fact, your recent blog, which you mentioned earlier, was about an ADHD diagnosis partly, right? Yeah. And so I'm just like, you know, my whole thing has always been, I just say what I see. And then, you know, often that's what causes problems. So for me, I think that's just like, it's just the way I see the world. And also just, I guess, the people who push back against any change are those with vested interests. And I suppose I've never really identified myself mm. with the sort of status quo and, you know, how I, I don't look at how I look in my skin and go, oh, yeah, I'm exactly like, you know, a 44-year-old male is meant, quote unquote, to be. Mm. So I don't have that much skin in the game when it comes to sort of questioning change. You know, I'm kind of like, I'm the person who kind of goes, yeah, no, I, listen, I know how damaging it is for people to keep butting up against what they're not and being told that that's what they should be, both from myself and, you know, you work in stand-up comedy and it's full of misfits, right? It's an arena for self-expression and often the people who really do need to sort of stand up somewhere and say a thing are people who really haven't had a channel to do that. So you do tend to find a lot of queer people and then a, a lot of like people talking about their ethnicities or, you know, or their race or whatever. And so for me, I've been immersed in different people, quote unquote. I mean, but that's the fallacy because, you know. Yeah, but I, again, I was just listening, admiring that, thinking about the fact that you're right and that mm. quite a lot of people, I mean, both of us could name many people in stand-up who are in comedy because it is an outlet that they never had. And we could also name people that have had plenty of outlets in their lives. And there are souls. Karen. Yeah, this is absolutely true. And like personally... Uh, I mean, I did stand up for 20 years and it's really funny. Like um, Mark said, I, I got an ADHD diagnosis two years ago, life-changing and absolutely a big part of my ability to do this because I swear to God, I used to not really be able to regulate my thoughts or my focus. And a big part of knowing the hell what you think and actually trusting it is being able to sort of concentrate and just feel like you're in one place. But I did stand up for 20 years and it's funny because I look back at my childhood, I don't remember much. Like I have a very poor long-term memory and I've always wondered why that is, but the thing that's actually been quite good about it is when I remember something, it's clearly important to me. So what I remember was about 10 years after I started doing stand-up where, you know, and I was, we'll go past tense here. I'm a good stand-up. It's true. But Mickey D, who is also a good stand-up, I remember one time said to me this thing and it stuck with me. Yeah, that was good, Yanni, what you did. But 
when are we going to hear what Yanni really thinks? And it was really weird because to me, immersed in my own existence, I thought, well, I'm saying what I think, right? But someone on the outside is clearly going, there's more here. And it's true because I could take you back over my old notebooks now. And I could, even if you didn't tell me what year it was, I could probably tell you around what year it was from the type of material yeah. and the distance from me, you know? So how abstract it was or how conceptual it was. And so the thing that's been really interesting, just putting stand up to the side for a little while is not being immersed in it. I had a couple of like epiphanies about why I did it. Because if you ask me over the 20 years, oh, Yanni, why do you do stand up? And I'm like, oh, cause I love stand up. And I do, I love stand up. But now I can look back, I'm like, oh, that's why I was doing that. Like from that deeper sort of like psychic place of like, what did I need to get out of doing this? Because it is objectively a demanding thing to do to literally like drag yourself from place to place five times a week like it's ridiculously yeah. onerous and it's not that rewarding financially until you get to the point when it's really rewarding which i never got to but i still did it happily so why and i'm like okay i get it now i know why it's because i had to learn how to walk up stand in front of a room full of people and say what i thought and the material over the period just slowly slowly as i became more comfortable with what I thought and even more aware of it becomes more personal. For me, that was a really interesting thing to learn. And then the other thing I realized that I had to do it for is because I needed to meet people, infinite numbers of people, like people different from me, people similar to me, poor people, rich people, people in the army, people who worked professional jobs, like people in different countries. Yeah, that's a lot of what I'm in it for as well. No doubt about it. Yeah, and it's an interesting thing about that confidence in sort of saying, this is what I think. And it's only really in the last year that I feel like I'd be even remotely confident of saying that, which even as I'm saying this, I'm like, I kind of feel like I sound like someone who, who's really known what they think for a long time, but it's just remarkable. I feel like if you unblock, it's a little switch and it just kind of clicks. And I'm looking forward to that. You've reminded me of something I had forgotten for a long time, which is one of the first shows that, or maybe the second show that I did down here in Australia. And someone came who had read a couple of my novels well there were only two novels at that point and the show uh, went well and it's a little bit like your moment with this comedian mickey d who i also know this guy a man who i will probably never meet again but at the time was working with me said where is your imagination on stage uh, because he'd read wow. the books and he was like what you're doing in comedy is five like percent of wow. what you it haunts me <laughs> and it's made me push myself yeah and um yeah it's interesting i mean we could talk a lot more about this and i suppose we probably will but how much you choose to unpack yourself on stage versus in your actual life has been quite an interesting theme of this, I think I'd say. I think that's a bit of a mean thing to say. Oh, it was quite mean, but he um, he was certainly gay. Michael, um, <laughs> would you like to ask the traditional closing question? Because I know you love asking questions. It's been almost your only way in in these difficult uh, conditions. Yes, our final question, I suppose, it kind of leads into what we've just been talking about, about building a future man that will be able to thrive in the world and in this ever changing world that we live in what three qualities would you build into them for them to do their best and be their best i gotta say mark you couldn't have let in better right because i wrote down three things uh and one of them was imagination oh ah. that's good 
I was like, imagination. That is definitely, yeah. That was going to be my third one, actually. But 95% more imagination than Mark exhibits on stage in 2005 or whatever it was. Lord, that is a lot of imagination because I do rate Watson's imagination. It's right up there. Oh, nice. So imagination is your first one. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm going to go all three because I think the benefit comes in talking about the interaction between the three of them. So I had acceptance slash compassion because I kind of see them as the same because I think to have compassion is to accept people because it's to understand that everyone struggles and that that's fine and that you struggle and that's fine. So, and I had imagination and I had courage. Uh, Acceptance, imagination and courage. And I mean, I don't see this as like being a prototypical man. I think this is just a prototypical person. Yeah, often people do answer in a way that it's more to do with just basic humanity than gender. Yeah, it's an androgyny. I mean, I believe that the whole idea here with that question is to transcend this binary that exists between masculine and feminine. And so it would feel a little bit churlish to kind of go, oh, this is only if you'd ask me about a man. If it was a woman, it would be completely different principles, <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, we can talk about this another time, I guess. But Michael and I started out phrasing this question as if you were to build a man or design, you know, I think the question is, or the framing has naturally drifted towards what should a person be like? Because certainly my understanding of what gender and different types of human has modified over these 50 or so episodes, I have to admit. And I really enjoy the interplay between courage and imagination there. There's a really nice combination there because I think imagination is lovely. We can all sit and imagine future worlds and future ideas, Mm. but the courage to kind of act on that. And I think that's really, I don't know, there's something really lovely about that combination we've not seen before. Yeah, well, this is the thing, like, and obviously these come from myself. So for me, I've always had imagination and I've always had acceptance, but I've not had courage. And the thing is the courage infects the imagination because I have these ideas, but the bit where you actually go out there into the world and do them and say, I am doing this unapologetically is always escaped me. And so for me, like, I just think an ideal person is someone who cares, who cares enough to try, like try anything. It doesn't matter what you try as long as you do something, right? And then if it doesn't work, try something else. And it's that thing of not getting despondent and I think that's the other thing it goes back to Michael what you were saying about the uh, what if you say the wrong thing because that is the crystallization of this idea of like what if it goes wrong what if no one comes right and with this blog thing like I kind of like in my head I like talk myself into it like Yanni you know what you're like it will be by definition unpopular to begin with since it is new and no one knows about it do not let that stop you you need to sort of be fueled by something higher you know like you have to be doing it because you say this is what I want to put into the world and that's I guess the courage to sort of present your imagination yeah we talked about this in the pub you wrote this blog which people can find about going to therapy getting this diagnosis understanding your own brain in a different world we talked about this how people in your family were yeah. inevitably going to say yes are you all right do you have problems? This is te- like the idea of seeking a therapist or all of these. And I think we chatted about it. Like the time to ask someone that question is three years ago. Yeah. If you're seeing a therapist and talking about it, that means that's courage, I think. Yeah. Well, then that comes from the acceptance, like basically me going, so I guess before the process would be, uh, I write this thing. Now, do I publish it? Right. And then you think, okay, if I publish it, then people may say X or Y. 
And then that may be the point where you go, okay, I won't publish it, right? And this all happens in your head in two seconds. All that happens is you just kind of go, I'll do it tomorrow when it's perfect. And then you never do it. But I guess the thing is to be able to say, okay, I can publish that. And people could say X or they can say Y and then feel comfortable enough to say, I'm willing and I feel competent to have that discussion with people if that is indeed what they want to do. But also, and the more important thing for me, before that, I would have not published it just in case I made some people feel uncomfortable about whether I was okay, even though I am okay. And that's the bit where you're like, I guess the lesson is other people's emotions are not your responsibility. You can definitely care about them. And you know, you can ask them, are you okay or whatever, but you should never hold yourself back on that basis. Like as long as you have the compassion, which is the other thing that I was saying, like if you're coming from a place of compassion, you need to just trust that what I put into the world is a good thing because the world needs more compassion. And if it does make someone uncomfortable, it only does so because somehow they've lost touch with that fact. Um, my mum said that like one of her friends, when I posted a thing, you know, which was quite candid, Michael was like, oh, I'm a bit worried about Yanni. And I basically was like, you know what? The time you should have worried about me was three years yeah. ago when I wasn't saying anything. Exactly. You know, when I was keeping it all inside. We hear there's a lot about men, but that is, um, this is one of the first times that we've actually had that spell out, that talking about stuff is intrinsically just superior to not, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Truth is an unambiguous good. Uh, well, thank you so much for joining us, Yanni. You've been absolutely brilliant and very thorough. It's nice to have a straight person that's genuinely interesting, isn't it, Mark? You don't get many of those. No, there's only, there's like half a dozen of us, yeah. <laughs> but Yanni, where can people find you online if they wanted to? And where's the blog? But also, Yanni, I hate this really, but will you indulge me and do like Mr. Burns' voice or something? <laughs> Well, I have a blog at, uh, I have a little bit of a blog at uh, joinedupthinking.substack.com. My Lickspittle Smithers will direct you. <laughs> <laughs> I hate using you like a jukebox like this, but I, I, as you know, I fucking love The Simpsons. I loved that show. Yeah. Could we find out where you are on Twitter through Marge? Oh, no, I can't do Marge. It's an absolutely impossible voice for most men to do well, because I certainly don't have the register for it. But I can do it as Lionel Hutz. It will have that. Yes, please. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. Hello, I'm Lionel Hutz. You may remember me from such Twitter feeds as www.twitter.com slash Yanni underscore A. That's Y-I-A-N-N-I underscore A. I also play Mitch. <laughs> I drifted a bit there at the end. My apologies. I was put on the spot. Yeah, but again, you haven't done this for years. It's it has just... been ages. I was worried Michael would be too young for the Simpsons even. No, but... no, Simpsons Simpsons definitely combines this. Wow, at last we found a cultural touchstone that we're both on the same page with Michael. But um, Yanni, thanks. This has been great. Yeah, no, it's been really, really fun. And absolutely, thank you so much. I've had a great time, like literally. It's important. And I think uh, you guys are doing a wonderful job by, um, by doing the podcast. So thanks for having me oh thanks Yanni. i wish everyone would end like that oh yeah flirt thank you so much <laughs> <laughs> thank you yanni that was brilliant <laughs> see you soon that was uh yanni um you've forgotten how to say a surname haven't you i've got basically yeah, i can see it in my head <laughs> yanni Ajisalu, i believe it was a case of um with uh with mark watson and i think you'd say uh, supporting material from michael <laughs> chakraverty on this occasion pulled together as ever by Leanne Coop. Hope you enjoyed it. Yes, very good fun. And do go and follow Yanni on social media and do check out his blog. It is very, very interesting. It is. Coop made the point that it's also one of the deepest voices we've ever had on the podcast. It does make you wobble a bit, doesn't it? It, it, it made certain objects in the room wobble, yes. Uh, <laughs> including uh, some of your... Because you didn't even get to see his 
I would say quite handsome face during the recording either, so there's a real kind of uh, what might have been the story for you. Well, still could be, you never know. Still could be, yeah, oh, we'll, yeah. We'll definitely, we're friends, we'll, I'll, I'll introduce you, yeah. <laughs> One day we'll, we can have a reunion party of all the guests. That'd be um, quite nice, actually. Would it be nice? It would be a... Pr- it would be might a, be impossible. Yes, I don't think we'd get all of them. Geographically. Yeah, and some of them, like Rufus Hand, would keep appearing and disappearing again, like, 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 like recording. Anyway, I, but if you would like to meet us in person, that was a good segue. That was a lovely segue, Thank and you. let's see it home now. Yes, we are, you might know this if you've been following the Twitter, but not all of you uh, will be aware. We have. And why not, by the way, if you aren't following the Twitter? Yes, it's a massive lapse on your part, but nonetheless, <laughs> we're going to uh, extend an olive branch by giving you this news longhand. Uh, we're doing two live shows in Edinburgh. We are indeed. Mankind Live, which will be on the 19th and 20th of August at the Fringe at 5 o'clock in the afternoon, not the morning, at Assembly George Square. Maybe we'll put an extra one on at 5 in the morning just to test the loyalty <laughs> of these people. Um, it, it will be on sale very, very soon. It would already be on sale, but uh, the listing has been stalled slightly because uh, they objected to Mankind Live being in lowercase. Yes. Uh, it doesn't fit the standard form. But we are, we are pretty dogmatic about our lowercase, aren't we, Michael? We've fought back about the branding, so it will, be, it will be going live fairly soon, I believe, but once it's all properly, completely in lowercase. What can I say? It's a gay thing, isn't it? We've got the... um, I, it's important to me. <laughs> we've got... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> we've, we've got our priorities sorted. But when it does yes. go live, we'll let you know. And we'll let you know how, Mark, on social media. Yes, I, I was just thinking some people's priorities would be to book the actual guests, but we haven't done that yet. But we, we, uh, we definitely will have two amazing guests. <laughs> but yes, we'll let you know when you can book tickets. And if you would like to follow us on social media so you can find out when the tickets go live, we are at Mankind Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, and I think Facebook, but we've kind of clarified we're not really sure about that one. Um, and if you'd like to email us, we always like those at mankindpodcast at gmail.com. Imagine if there are hundreds of unread messages on Facebook and like, really important stuff. You should stuff. have a look. You should yeah. delve in at some point. Mind you, I haven't been on my Facebook for around a decade now. <laughs> People could have died for all I know if they told me via Facebook. Anyway, yes, follow us on all those um, in all those ways. And also, yeah, we always sort of like to be lavish with praise, don't we? Mark? We do. Well, you particularly. I'm I'm very indifferent, really. I've never really asked for much more than a, than a thank you. Your 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 main sort of defining characteristic is almost complete nonchalance about how people see you. Yes, you spent absolutely no time thinking about your image or researching how things are going down. But nonetheless, just indulge me at least and give us nice. Well, actually, it's less about five stars these days, isn't it? Because um, it's more about subscriptions, actually. Yeah, we'll we'll give we'll give you a free pass on the review if you subscribe to us. How about that? Which is what Patreon? No, I was meant on. Oh, you just subscribe and you get the thing. You get the. Uh, We've been podcasting yeah. for nearly fifty episodes. <laughs> right. Anyway, do what Michael says. Yeah. <laughs> right. We'll see you next week. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row, dreaming of something better? Well. HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.